This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you as we are finally putting a wrap on the on this eventful 2020-2021 athletic year. Um, it's it ended on a on a pretty positive note, I would say, about Renaya Jones at the Olympic trials. Even though she didn't make the Olympic team, what a great run she had to the semifinals. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then the big show is coming up after that. Eric and I will go through our nominees for the Bannies, the Black and Gold Banneret Awards uh, for the year. A, a weird year it was in terms of passing out these awards for sure. But we'll have them up there for you. It's going to be a pretty long show, so bear with us on this. But this will be a fun show that we'll do. Now we're going to do the nominations for this show. And then during the week, you, the fan, will have the opportunity to vote. And then each member of the staff has one vote, and then whoever wins the fan poll gets one vote, all right? So that's how we're going to do this. Anyway, uh, but first, Renaya Jones, wow, uh, stayed in Eugene, Oregon, stuck around for the uh, Olympic trials, which she qualified for earlier in the, uh, earlier in the year, um, and made quite the, uh, and made quite an impression, I think, on everybody, um, coming in second in her uh, first round heat w- uh, with a personal best, um, and then uh, finishing uh, in, uh, although she came up short in the uh, semifinals, she finished fifth, um, but still a remarkable week uh, for this young lady. Got highlighted a little bit on NBC Sports um, during, the, uh, uh, during, during the trials, which was nice to see. Um, you know, and, uh, what is it? Otto Bolden was talking about UCF and Renaya Jones, and that's never a bad thing. And, uh, joining us now to talk about that is the guy who was following it, uh, race by race. Uh, he previewed the track and field trials for us, uh, last week. And, uh, here he's to give us a, re- a review of, uh, Renaya's performance. Uh, Bryson Turner is joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. What's up, Bryson? Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Uh, I just wanted to... And yeah, you basically nailed right on the head with that introduction. Renaya, Renaya Jones, she is the moment right now. I am, I am. even though she did not make the final, uh, I will say that she, it was still close. She, I think she easily could have, but there's, I, I think Night Nation has a lot to be proud of with that, with her. Well, she, she finished only, um, uh, what was it? 1264 was the qualifying was the was the top qualifier was or was it 1260 that's right 1265 was the um were, were the uh, was the eighth best time and she finished with a 1268 in the uh, semis but I want to talk go back to the first round um in the uh, in the 100 meter uh hurdles um she got off to a uh, she got off to a pretty good start we were thinking wow this could be pretty good she had the fifth fastest time in the uh, in the first round of a twelve sixty four, which was a personal best, actually uh, nearly beating her uh, school record of twelve point seven three by an into- by one full tenth of a second. Um, she finished uh, officially it was twelve point six three one, um, which had her tied up with Anna Cockrell of uh, of USC, who was uh, who was in fourth, and we were thinking, wow, this might be um, th- this might be 
this might be the making of something good. I mean, it's it's rare that you see that much improvement from the NCAA final to that first round in the in the trials. Like she, how much time did she knock off of that of that uh, of that hundred meter time? She knocked off from the from the one. She went from twelve point eight two to twelve point six four to twelve twelve point eight two wow. her time. In so the, nearly two tenths of a second in a couple weeks. Yes, and then well, the other big the other big thing is that Anna Cockrell had a bit of a fall off because if memory serves, she ran I believe a twelve point five eight in the in the championship. She I'm, I'm telling you in the NCAA championship meet she just blew past yeah. the competition in that one. And in the first heat of the of the Olympic trials, she was a twelve point six three. So Renee. Well, Renia, so Renia Jones shaved some some seconds, some tenths of a second off her time, and then Cockrell kind of had you know re- regressed a little bit from that time, and so that led to a much closer race between the two of them in the first heat of the trials. And Renia actually had the fifth best time overall in that round. The only runners that ran faster than her, Kenny Harrison, who would who will eventually make qualify for the team, and she's the world record holder in the event. Brianna McNeil, last Olympics' gold medalist, who also mm-hmm. qualified for the Olympics, but that's a whole other controversial story that I mentioned last week. Talia Brooks, who is, who's another professional, and then Anna Cockrell. After yeah. that, Renaya. Yeah, and she basically, and remember, it's even though Anna Cockrell had the advantage, she, they were basically tied um, at that point. But uh, because the, the finish was so close, they were, it was one one-thousandth of a second separating the two of them. Um then we get to the semifinals, and that's where kind of reality sort of set in. Um, it looked like Renai kind of didn't get off to as good of a start as she did in the first round in that in that semifinal race. She finishes at a 12.68. Nonetheless, that's three one-hundredths of a second shy of uh, of making uh, of one of the uh, of making a uh, the of making the final because you know let's not forget. Um, the results were from the two semifinals, and this was the same for the first round. The top three finishers in each of those races automatically get a pass to the final, and then they took the top two remaining times from everybody else uh, to fill out those spots. So she ended up coming up just just short uh, of Aaliyah Armstrong and and Tajirika Robinson. Um, in, in in terms of getting a spot in the final, which was a real bummer, it was that semifinal was a really close race, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. I was watching it, watching, and I saw her that were falling behind a little bit, and I'm like, oh man, she's gonna she's gonna have to make it on fastest time by that point. Yeah. And I, when I tell you, I was just heart heartbroken a little bit when I saw the rankings and I saw that she came up just short, especially to to. Uh, Especially to the fact now, don't get me wrong. I'm proud of Aaliyah Armstrong and Tarika Robinson for qualifying, but it stings a little bit when you when you look at the pre at the at the qualifiers uh, at the qualifiers, and you, you know Renaya ran faster than them in the last one, and then they managed to best her in this one. I mean, all the props in the world go to Aaliyah Armstrong and Tarika Robinson for manage for rising to the occasion, but it certainly stings a little bit. To put it in perspective, when you look at the final, um, Kenny Harrison uh, won the final with a 12.47. Brianna McNeil and Christina Clemens also make the Olympic team with a 12.51 and a 12.52, respectively. 
Um, Anna Cockrell finished in fifth in the final at 12.58. So if Renaya had run her, had matched her personal best of 12.63 in the final, that would have tied her for sixth to give you an impression of, you know, what the professionals are really doing. Um, and Eric Lopez, you had mentioned to us before that, you know, that's, that's what the pros in track and field do. They kind of preserve their energy, know what they have to do, how they have to do it. And then when they get the final, that's when they hit the afterburners. Yeah. That's the, you know, the, the ones that have been around the block that know what it takes, you know, in these big events around the world, they know when to turn it on that extra gear. They're not going to go all out in that first heat. They know that they can coast as long as they advance. They don't care if they win the heat. They just want to advance to the next round. You don't want to pull. Whereas, you know, if you're a college kid, like you're a freshman, like right now, you don't know any better. You got to run hard. You just keep up. Yeah. And I think you saw that in the semifinal when the pros turn it. That's why we have the, you know, we have the best in the world. Uh, that's what makes the Olympics so fascinating, unique, is that there's that extra gear uh, you know, Usain Bolt was the master of it, obviously. He's no mm-hmm. longer racing, but, you know, he would run a certain number in the heat, and then next thing you know, in the final, boom, he just blows by everybody. Everybody's like, whoa. So yeah. that's the story. And I think for Rania, look, it's a great experience, great learning curve for her. And she's, I mean, she really benefited. You think about this. The Olympic trials got postponed a year because the Olympics got postponed. Exactly. If, if the Olympics didn't get postponed, if they would have run last year, she might not even have had an opportunity to be a part of the Olympic trials. Instead, now, because he got pushed back a year, she has an opportunity. She qualifies for the Olympic trials. And if if everything goes well and she stays healthy and everything like that, she might, she'll probably get a second opportunity to try to qualify for the Olympics for 24 in Paris. Right. It's a big win. It's not like she has to now wait four years. It's three years, and she'll learn from this experience, and it'll make her. She'll be better off for it here moving forward. In a way, I, I was just going to say, you know, uh, and, and ask you that too, Bryson, as we as we get ready to wrap on this, is, you know, she's got to be thrilled with having that experience. And I think if you're uh, if you're the UCF coaching staff, uh, you got to be pretty thrilled with it too. No, I mean she's she got that experience on this level, racing against. Um, you know, people like Kenny Harrison, like Brianna McNeil, um, and, and seeing how they approach every race. Um, it's, it's so much to learn. You you can learn so much from them as a, as a 19 year old, you know, red shirt freshman. And that's exactly what, what Renaya had to do. So, I mean, she's got, and, and she was pretty positive about the whole experience afterwards, wasn't she? She was. I remember. She was. I remember when we when Eric Lopez talked to her. I watched the video after the NCAA championship. She even said, "Like, look, if I make the Olympic team, then that's great. If I don't, then I'm grateful for the experience." And I be- I believe her in that regard. In that regard, you know, having a young being get, getting to go into the Olympic trials that young is amazing experience for her. And I think that it, it's a good indication of the future for college track and field. I mean, looking at Aaliyah Armstrong, who's a sophomore for LSU and Renaya together, I am very interested to see what the future collegiate seasons hold for both of these young women in the 100 yeah. It's Keep this in mind. She got to spend the week up there in Eugene. So she knows she's hanging out against the best of the best. You don't think you're going to learn some things from being around the best for a right. week? And that's two weeks that she got to spend spend in Eugene, which is normally where the NCAA championships go on anyway. So a lot of experience, a lot of uh, uh, valuable things I think she she gathered. She's very bright. 
I guarantee you she took a lot of notes and will certainly use that experience to her advantage moving forward. And I think if I'm not mistaken, the world championships are going to be are going to be held in Eugene, I think, in a, in a year or two as well. If Plus, I'm not she mistaken. Ran some of the best times in her college career as well. 12.64 in the first round and 12.68 in the semifinals. Those are the two fastest times of her collegiate career. If, you, if you're yeah. looking at her personal best, I mean, she went from the and I mentioned this on Twitter, but I want to emphasize this again, because as a freshman, it's huge. She went from a 13.36 to start the season to a personal best of 12.64 in about in about three months, a, a set about almost a seven tenths of a second difference in just three months. She's a freshman. Yeah, she's just a freshman. The uh, the world championships in 2022 will be held in Eugene, Oregon, by the way, on that very same track. So, well, and again, it, it... I think the, the, what those numbers tell you is she was not afraid of the moment, the spotlight. She right. rose to the occasion. She just lost to the best athletes in the world. Which, and, and, her, and hurdles in particular, women's hurdles this year, was stacked. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, I mean, stacked. Sure. So that's the thing is she, she, she can handle the bright lights. She can handle the spotlight. I think she's done very well. Has been huge for UCF. The attention uh, they've gotten. I was pleased. I was proud of Night Nation on social media for not getting on Otto Bolden for calling UCF Central Florida. I'm very proud of well, him. He, well, 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 Otto said, he, he said, he mentioned Renaya. Remember what he said? He said, uh, he said, Renaya Jones from UCF. And then he said Central Florida, kind of clarifying for people who weren't smart, sure what UCF was. Smart, smart. Smart by Otto. Right. So oh, I was, oh, I was really happy about act. that. By the way, if Eric DeSalvo recorded that, I would use that all the time. That accent was phenomenal. I love the accent <laughs> uh, for UCF. But yeah, no, I agree. And that's the way to do it. And I think it was well handled and uh, it was good attention. And I know some people are like, well, they didn't talk about her that much. Well, first of all, when you're, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out the Olympics, you're, you're going to focus on the ones that are likely to be on the Olympic team mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. And what year, Bryson, do you know what year Cockrell is from USC? Because that kind of that's a little rivalry there, Cockrell and Renaya Jones. You know, Renaya finishing second behind her in both in that heat, and of course, obviously in the NCAA championships. Not second, she finished top three, but then in the NCAA championships, Cockrell from USC. Cockrell uh, is a senior this year. Well, maybe they'll be uh, they'll re they'll reminisce down the road. Twenty twenty four. I say they get. I say that they meet back up in twenty twenty four. There you go. Bryson's got his plane ticket ready for twenty four. <laughs> But uh, yeah, let's not forget. Uh, I think the one you're 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 thinking about is, uh, oh, well, Tonea Marshall was also a senior too. So I mean, think about that. She was racing in front of all against these, seniors. All these seniors. She's racing against a bunch seniors. of women, man. And, like and, no. and Anna Cockrell and Tonea Marshall. Just to give you an idea, how you know Anna Cockrell, the NCAA champion out of USC, finished in fifth, and she was more than a more than a tenth of a second behind the the champion Kenny Harrison. And so she that, lost her head coach to Georgia, Carol Smith-Gilbert, right. former UCF yeah. head coach. So, so that shows you how good the competition was. <laughs> All right, last thing before we go, uh, Bryson, one more former UCF athlete still out there, Anne-Marie Blaney. When is she racing in the 10,000 meters? Anne-Marie Blaney. She's going to be racing at 6.44 p.m. local time, so that'll be 9.44 p.m. our time. And NBC is going to be covering – the trials starting at 9 p.m. that e that evening. Uh, now, I don't expect them, of course, to cover the, the whole race, the whole race from beginning to end, because it's a long race and there's a lot of other events to cover. But if you want to, I imagine they're going to keep they're going to keep up with it. Yeah. 
that usually, you know what I've been seeing was, uh, and I saw this when I was watching the swimming trials, is they, they use those sort of long distance events as a time to interview people and also to catch up on field events and let's show you some highlights of this or that. And, oh, let's check in on the race, and here's what's going on with this and that. You know, I, th- I think it's pretty interesting how they use that, that time uh, in, in terms of the telecast. But, um, uh, but Anne-Marie, uh, it, what, what do we think? I know she had a top 10 time of the year this year, or a top 15 time, I believe. I think she had the 13th fastest time in the, ten, in the 10K. But what do we think about her chances right now. I think she's going to have to run a really good race in order to get onto the team, isn't she? Yes, I yes, I would pretty much say so. She has a, the fastest the fastest qualifying time for that event, if I recall correctly, is Elise something. Here it is. Uh, here it is. Elise, yeah, Elise Craney, who qualified with a thirty forty seven point four two. And yeah. then right behind her, you have Carissa Schweizer, both of them coming from Boroman's Track Club. They're, they're hovering at around the 30, 47, 30, 48 mark. And Blaney's qualifying time was a 3203.79. And she ran that only a few, only a, a little over a month ago, yeah. May 14th. So, and, to, and to give you a perspective on that, the Olympic standard is 3125. And the Olympic trials record, all right, the U.S. Olympic trials meet record is 3109. So those are some really fast times that Anne-Marie is going to have to compete against. Uh, I mean, never say never, but um, that's going to be that's going to be a big uphill climb. Yes, she will also have to she will also be competing against Emily Infeld and Marielle Hall, who were the two Americans that ran in the 10,000 meters in Rio in 2016. uh, Infeld finished in 11th and Hall finished in 33rd. Wow. So that'll give you an indication for it. But like I said, one more UCF athlete we can take a look at, and that's the women's 10K. Now I'm looking at the – it says here – Local time for the women's 10K final is 1 p.m. That's 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. Is that right? I'm look. It's no. It says on the 26th. It says the time is 6:44 p.m. Lo- local time. Ah, okay. Meter women final at final, and that's local time. 6:44 p.m. local time, which means it's going to be 9:44 p.m. our time. Oh, okay. All right. We'll be taking a look at that. And following along, as I know you will, Bryson, as well. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter uh, following along with us on that. Bryson, thank you so much for all the hard work that you did this week following track and field. You have one more race to go, and then we can start planning for the 2021-2022 season. How about that? (laughs) Yes, I'm very excited to be spending a full season with you guys this time. (laughs) All right. Bryson Turner, thank you so much. When we get back, time to talk a little nominations for the baddies of 2021. Uh, Eric Lopez and I will go through all the new cat, all the categories. We've got some new categories this year. We've split up some categories and, uh, lots to talk about with that. When we get back, stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. And now yours truly, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez will present to you the nominees for the 2020, 2021 Black and Gold Banneret Postseason awards. The baddies are finally here, Eric Lopez. 
That's right. Got the suits ready to go. It's a little later than normal, but, uh, you know, we did take a year off. So That's right. So, uh, let we always start with Coach of the Year, we, and we split them up uh, between the uh, between men's and women's. We start with Women's Team Coach of the Year. Cindy Ball Malone from softball. Coach Abe from women's basketball. Brian Kanyeko from uh, women's tennis. And, of course, Todd Dagenet from volleyball. A strong class indeed. Uh, two conference uh, tournament champs, two that came awfully, awfully close and made the postseason as at-larges. Um, your thoughts on this category? Strong category. I mean, we left out an Emily Marin, for example, who led women's golf to the NCAA tournament. So you know it's a deep year in the women's side. You know, obviously with Coach Ball Malone, UCF making the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2016, getting to the American Conference Championship game for the first time since 2015. They hadn't won a conference tournament game prior till 2016. So a lot of barriers broken this year, 41 wins. Coach Abe, obviously, getting the team into the NCAA tournament. You could argue really should have been half-code conference champions. Right. For some chicanery going on. Um <laughs> and then you got obviously Todd winning a three-peat at volleyball uh, that hasn't happened in like 20 years for the program not, and then since, obviously- not since 2002 three and four right and then Brian Kaneko obviously with a national program in women's tennis getting to a number uh sweet 16 now we're not we're not allowed to reveal who we're picking on right. this episode right we're just gonna that's uh, correct we're just gonna give you the nominees now what the way we're gonna work this once again like I mentioned in the beginning is each of us on the staff has a vote in all of the award contests, but you, the fans, have a vote as well. And whoever, and I'll put those these all on Twitter. And whoever wins, that will, and whoever wins the fan vote, they get one vote out of the total. All right. So, here we go. Uh, men's coach of the year. Some strong candidates: John Roddick for men's tennis made the NCAAs of course uh made that run as well it's been a while for them to actually get there but they got it uh Scott Calabrese American Athletic Conference champions finally at long last breaking through in the tournament Greg Lovelady and Johnny Dawkins I think two interesting nominees here Eric Lopez because even though their respective teams baseball and men's basketball did not have the best overall seasons I was really impressed with how both these teams responded particularly late in the year uh, Johnny Dawkins' men's basketball team uh, had a stretch where they won six out of eight heading into the ter- heading into the conference tournament, and their only two losses were by one point, and it was to some of the best teams in the conference. And then Greg Lovelady and his baseball team fought and scraped and clawed and came within basically 180 feet of uh, of winning the conference championship uh, in a year where they just had, where it seemed like nothing could go right for them. They caught they caught it at the right time. Uh, your thoughts on these nominees here? Because I think this is a stronger category than people think. Well, it's unique. Uh, Greg Lovelady, a tough year within a run. You mentioned winning the conference title year that really could have, I mean, nothing went right. Nothing went as planned. Could have easily gone south. It looked like it was going to go south. And they ended up over 500. They ended up playing for making a run. Think about this. No UCF baseball team had gotten to a conference championship game in a tournament since the A-Sun in 2002. Hmm. <laughs> That's a long time. So they did accomplish something there in the end of the week. And look, I mean, as painful as that loss to South Florida, South Florida ended up going to the, to the, to the Super Regional. So 
still a heck of a run to kind of pull it out of there when considering the injuries. Think about if, if Colton Gordon was healthy, maybe they win that conference tournament. Matt Archer, if he stayed healthy. Right. And then for Dawkins, they got to me, their season got wrecked by COVID. They got off to a great start. They beat Florida State, which is one of the program's best regular season wins of all time. Uh, and then they, you know, and then they got wrecked by COVID. And they never, it was hard to recover. It, again, just like baseball, it looked like the season was going south. They finished pretty strong, ran into a tough draw in the conference tournament. Very difficult year to hold it together with. I mean, how many times was men's basketball games postponed because oh, of yeah. the other team? Or it was just a tough, tough year. And yet, they hung in there and finished strong, and that's a credit to the uh, to Coach Dawkins and and to the players. All right, so that takes us to a new category, new this year. We're doing assistant coaches of the year for both men's teams and women's teams. We start with the women's team assistant coach of the year, uh, Brian Doyan from UCF Volleyball. UCF had a very good year defensively. He's the defensive coordinator over there. Tani Bellario, who uh, it, it seems like she would be, if we had this in previous years, she would be a nominee every year, uh, and, and how she works with the guards for UCF women's basketball. And Christina Sanchez Quintanar of uh, women's tennis, who just recently took a head coaching job. Uh, a, a very strong category here uh, as well, Eric. This, is, this one's going to be a tough one to call. Yeah, Christina Sanchez, just to put it, was one of the top assistants in the country under Brian Kanyeko at women's tennis. I've made the comparison. When you go back to, for the longtime UCF fans, women's soccer, Amanda Cromwell, during that dynasty run in the Cromwell era, she was the head coach. Who was her top assistant? Colby Hale. Hale. Colby yeah. Hale, you know, that's part of it. He was the big recruiter on that staff and everything like that. He ends up getting a head coaching job at Arkansas and has done very well. They've been a perennial NCAA tournament team, have won the SEC. So he's turning... This is the same parallel here. Obviously, what Brian has done here with him at women's tennis speaks for itself. But you got Christina, who's been a, a, a national assistant award winner. Now she's going to run her program at Arkansas. She gets the head coaching job. Literally the same path as Kobe Hale, and I think it's a very similar one. She's uh, well-deserving of this nomination for sure uh, there. And then you mentioned Tawny and Brian. Defense is the theme, folks. Yep, defense wins championships. <laughs> Men's assistant coach there, we have four nominees. Daryl Wyatt from football, the wide receivers coach. What a crew of wideouts he coached to uh, to new heights this year. Jalen Robinson, Marlon Williams, Jacob Harris getting selected in the NFL draft. What a job by him this year. Paul Souders, who's in charge of the offense for UCF men's soccer. Again, that team is just a dynamic offensive team. Really had to figure out things after... Uh, after Cal Jennings left and did in in the final uh, eight weeks of the season. Georgi Rumanov of men's tennis. Uh, finally, men's tennis getting over the uh, over the hump. He was instrumental in that. And Chris Kanapka of men's soccer. He's the goalkeeper's coach. What a job he did, not just with Yannick Ertl, but also his backup when Yannick was hurt. UCF managed to stay afloat during that, uh, during that remarkable run. So we have two men's soccer coaches here. On the assistant coach of the year, including what and and it's it may come down to one of the two of them. They may end up splitting the votes. Yeah, I mean they could split the vote, like you said. But you're right. I mean Kanapka did a heck of a job with the I mean, Yannick Ertl, uh, an amazing year. But he missed a couple of matches, as you mentioned, with the injuries. So Matt Douglas had to be brought in, and Matt Douglas got him a big win against Memphis, which started their win streak that went all the way to the conference tournament and turned her season around. So he did a heck of a job there uh, on the men's side. And then Daryl Wyatt, you're right. I mean, you look at the positives for UCF football. 
was the wide receiving and the production, Marlon Williams, among others. And it all came with Daryl Wyatt, who's back. I mean, he was the one guy that was on the previous staff that returned is now on the Gus staff. And so I, I think he's he's one of the bright spots on that football program uh, from the previous staff into the current staff. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, the way we did this is we asked the staff for the nominees and there were a few categories where basically we were unanimous in our in our nomination of who would win a particular award. And the first such instance is in the Comeback Athlete of the Year category. And uh, and basically this is the winner. It's going to be Nala Turner of uh, women's soccer, backup goalkeeper uh, who overcame cancer uh, and came uh, not Hodgkin's lymphoma um, in, uh, and managed to make her way back onto UCF's uh, onto UCF's roster, uh, finished her career uh, with a start on senior day. Um, you know what a re- uh, what a, re- a remarkable story and and the uh, the trials and tribulations, not just physically but mentally, um, that she had to get through uh, just to come back. Just a remarkable, remarkable story. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to know about it. Nala Turner is our comeback athlete of the year. Pretty remarkable story. Says it all. Sometimes it's more about just beyond on the field, just to get on the field during a pandemic. Uh, that was a pretty a pretty amazing moment there when she's starting a goalkeeper in the last match of the season for them. That's uh, that's pretty inspirational. Yeah. All right. So we go to uh, breakout athletes of the year, and again we split this up into men's and women's categories. We'll start with the women. Nerissa Moravik of volleyball, who uh, in her senior year became an All Conference performer. Uh, in the middle, she was a key factor for UCF Volleyball, being one of the best blocking teams in the country. Obviously, Renaya Jones of track and field. I mean, how I don't know. You're going to hear this name a lot in the next in the next several minutes here as you listen to this <laughs> podcast. A breakout athlete of the year, making you know, a conference champion, making it all the way to the NCAA championships, making it to the Olympic trials. Uh, Jada Cody, Eric Lopez. Uh, there were quite a few breakout potentials for softball, but she was fantastic uh, for the softball team this year. And Diamond Battles, who really uh, took over the leadership role with this team after K.K. Wright uh, graduated, uh, Diamond really became the heart and soul of, uh, of this women's uh, basketball team. Uh, once again, this is, this is going to be a tough call between these four athletes and the jobs that they did this year. No doubt. I mean, Jada Cody, I'll speak on her behalf, obviously starting third, caught as well. The big clutch walk-off homer against Houston in conference play, first team all-conference. You know, the Florida game, which everybody talks about, that classic Florida game at UCF, it was her that tied the game up with the, the double uh, in that game that set up the walk-off home run. She yeah. it was a clutch hit. She's a clutch player. I think she's their best all-around player. I think she's part of the face of this program moving forward uh, for years to come. And I think, yeah. And I think Diamond's the face of the women's basketball program. Literally, with her facial expressions and intensity <laughs> and her leadership. And obviously, everybody remembers how that ended, unfortunately. But the good news is I'm hearing that her recovery is going well from her serious injury. And uh, they expect her to be back here for this upcoming year. That's great news. That's excellent, excellent news. Um, men's breakout athlete of the year. We had some good ones. Marlon Williams for football, um, who was all over the place as a wide receiver. Um, we knew how talented he was coming into the season, but boy, did he uh, did he outpace expectations. Johnny Travail made it to the NCAA championships as an individual uh, for UCF men's golf. Josh Crouch, who I, I thought was you know so instrumental this year, 
uh, for UCF baseball, um, not just uh, defensively behind the uh, uh, behind the dish, but also offensively had so many clutch hits for UCF, uh, especially uh, you know an amazing American tournament, and of course Gabe DeCamps, who uh, for men's tennis really was the straw that stirred the drink, um, and made and worked himself into being one of the best tennis players in the country. He's got a good professional career ahead of him, doesn't he, Eric? He does. He no men's tennis player went as deep in an NCAA tournament singles championship like he did. He got to the quarterfinals, top ten finish, player of the year, uh, player rankings award. Obviously led the men's team to the conference championship, into the NCAA tournament, got a national seed. Uh, just a superstar player. We'll be hearing his name again in this podcast uh, there. And, and let's go throw out Johnny Trevelli making the NCAA for men's golf, representing them in the individual awards. A heck of a year for him uh, as well. So, But DeCamps, obviously the stud, uh, could go down as the greatest tennis player in the history of UCF. All right. Senior of the year, men's and women's. We used to call this the Senior Leadership of the Year Award, but we're going to call this the Men's and Women's Senior of the Year uh, we'll start with the women. Aaliyah White, who, uh, again, UCF's all-time leader in in wins. Uh, her career finishes with uh, a, 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 during a remarkable stretch for UCF. She got to see the postseason finally. Rebecca Stolmar of tennis, who is so key for that team, making the uh, winning another conference championship, making the NCAA's, and then Masani Kaba from women's basketball, who you know. Has been so steady for years and years, but then found another gear. I think in the last half of this season to help UCF make the postseason. Uh, these are going to be some really tough, some really tough ones. But I think you know, in our discussions with the staff, Eric, I think Aaliyah White's kind of the favorite right here um, because this is sort of like almost like a lifetime achievement award. But uh, but she may get a run for her money from Rebecca Stolmar. I think. Well, Stolmar made the NCAA tournament in the singles play. For women's tennis was ranked as well. She's probably going to be pl- uh, talking to her recently. She's going to be playing to try to play professionally starting this fall. Uh, you know, Kava's obviously run, but Aliyah obviously set every significant pitching records. It's all hers. A great story, though. I mean, really think about the leadership she shows. She's the face of the program. Everybody knows her story by now. Premature birth kid. Uh, long odds to survive that. A lot of the news outlets locally and nation in the country kind of picked up on that story. And, she, you know, she led them back to the NCAA tournament and continued that tradition in the torch of excellent pitching that UCF pitching is known for. It's a high-profile position, uh, one of the most highly-profile positions of all UCF athletics. And Aaliyah handled herself very well and I think gained a lot of fans for softball program, for people that don't normally watch softball, watch softball because of her story. Yeah. Uh, men's senior of the year. We had some really strong nominees in this one. Marlon Williams off the bat for football. He, uh, in his senior year, just really broke out onto the scene. Um, disappointed that he didn't get selected in the NFL draft because I thought that, you know, he, he deserved to at least get a look, but he'll certainly get a try or obviously he's got a, uh, uh, he is with, uh, Houston right now on their roster. Um, Jordan Rathbone, who, um, was the Iron Knight in the Swords Awards and had a fantastic season uh, for UCF all around uh, in terms of hitting uh, on, from baseball. Richie Grant, who I, I'm really going to miss watching him play, um, just as steady a senior leader as you're ever going to find um, in any sport, and a joy to talk to. So happy that this week he signed with the, he signed his contract finally with the Atlanta Falcons. 
Um, I'm hoping that he that he uh, has a second round draft pick, hoping that he has a very long career there. And then, of course, Yannick Ertl of uh, men's soccer, who was, I, I mean, he was, I don't think instrumental is enough of a word to describe how good he was down the stretch for men's soccer and that long winning streak that they had culminating in a conference championship. This program became his this year after Cal Jennings graduating and he carried that team, that performance, as we'll get into later in the conference tournament, he literally carried them to that conference championship there with his goalkeeping abilities. Uh, incredible year. And then Richie, Jim Thorpe finalist. Yeah. It never happened in UCF before. An incredible and obviously a high draft pick, top five, the fifth, I believe, highest draft pick in UCF athletics uh, football history. Uh, and then Jordan Rathbone had a monster year, really, and this carry kind of kept baseball afloat. With, uh, with his performance and then Marlon was having he was on pace to have the greatest season ever in wide by a wide receiver uh up until he started obviously missed the last couple games but uh, he had a heck of a year as well and really stepped up as remember when Trey Nixon got hurt people wondered who was going to be the go-to guy for Dylan Gabriel it turned out to be Marlon Williams yeah yeah he was he was truly fantastic at times this season both in terms of his speed his hands it was it, we're, I'm going to miss watching him I'm really going to miss watching him I'm going to miss watching him all <laughs> I know. That's true. That's true. Freshman of the year for both men's and women's. We start with the ladies. Hey, guess Luke, guess who's here? Renaya Jones. I've heard of her. Uh, track and field. We've already talked about how good she is, but she's got some competition uh, in the uh, track and field cross-country program. Valerie Lestra from cross-country. Also, Charlotte Wiley, who's a rowing freshman of the year for UCF uh, in the American. And uh, another track and field athlete is Shara Collins, who... Uh, made it all the way to the NCAA championships in the triple jump, Eric Lopez. A lot of uh, a lot of track and field representation here in this category. And I think it's very appropriate that it's in the freshman category. It tells you about this young program, Dana Boone, starting to get her uh, recruits in. Future is bright for track and field. And then, obviously, cross country and her assistant, Coach Jackson, it runs cross country. So he's a big part of the success of Valerie Lester, who was the freshman of the year in the American and cross country. Renaya obviously speaks for herself. And then Collins, you mentioned the NCAA. Charlotte Wiley was the newcomer of the year in the American and rowing. Didn't win the conference championship. She helped them be right in the mix with SMU and probably would have been to the NCAA tournament as an at-large if it wasn't for some chicanery going on from the Ivy League. <laughs> who stole bids. People complain about football being like, uh, you know, biased and, and, you know, some chicanery going on. They got football's got nothing on rowing selection process. Oh boy. That's for another show. Yeah. Men's freshman of the year. We have uh, four really good nominees here as well. Luca Dorado from men's soccer who scored both of UCF's uh, uh, non uh, shootout goals in the American tournament. Um, we were worried about who would be the scoring threat for men's soccer after uh, after Cal Jennings left, and I think they found the guy in Luca Dorado, especially late. Uh, Matt Lee, the center from Florida, uh, for, for, from football, rather. What a uh, story he was. Everyone remembers the, the Highway 88 that he had against uh, ECU with all the false start penalties, but he recovered from that very nicely to become an all-conference performer, uh, filling the shoes of uh, Jordan Johnson at the center position. Alex Freeland of baseball, of course, was clutched down the stretch. Uh, for Greg Lovelady and uh, and his team uh, coming after coming over from Cape Coral High School, and uh, last but not least uh, Isaiah Adams, who the the talent level that you see from him on the basketball floor is just it, it just seems like the sky's the limit with him, and we're going to see some really 
amazing basketball from Isaiah Adams in the coming years as he develops and grows into his body. He was an absolute joy to watch this year. We got some good stories, I think, in this in this category, don't we? Yeah, we do. I mean, look, start with. I mean, Isaiah Adams is, I think, going to be the face of men's basketball. Alex Freeland, I think, could be the face of baseball. They're, they're both the future of their respective sports. Luca Dorado, alongside Gino Vivi, could be the really the faces of men's soccer uh, and part of their offense. And then Matt Lee, great story, had a str- struggled in the East Carolina game in the Tulsa game. There were a lot of false starts for the line. I know this might surprise some of our audience. Some of you in our audience, you know who you are. Kind of got a little upset with Matt Lee. Didn't really behave yourself very well on social media. Shame on you. But credit to him. He blocked all that noise out. He took ownership. And he played stellar. Made all conference. And I think from a UCF fan standpoint, you feel real good about Matt Lee at center here for years to come. Yeah. We were worried about that when JJ left because he was such a, a rock at that center position. But Matt Lee, I think, has come has come along very nicely. All right, uh, transfer of the year. This is a new award. Hey, listen, the transfer yeah, portal. Yeah, I know the transfer portal is a thing, and you know what? We're embracing it here at Black and Gold Banneret because we're going to have a transfer of the year. So we had a we had a unanimous nomination in Alicia Lewis on the women's side uh, for women's basketball. She really emerged as an excellent scorer, an excellent shooter down the stretch, in particular in the regular season. She was almost unstoppable. Um, and you know, as she went, so did women's basketball this year. So she's the winner for the, uh, women's transfer of the year coming over from Syracuse men's transfer of the year. We have three nominees. First one is CJ Walker for men's basketball. By the way, our hearts go out to CJ and his family about the loss of his cousin just recently. That was, that was out there on the news. We're happy that CJ's okay, but I know that he, but we know that he and his family are really mourning right now. And we wanted to tell, and we wanted. Hopefully, they're listening when when we say that uh, that we love CJ and and we hope that uh, and we hope that this is. We know that this is a hard time for him and his family, but our hearts are with him uh, and his. Um, he's one of our nominees for men's transfer of the year after coming over from Oregon. We saw just the raw talent. He's the best rebounder I've ever seen in a UCF uniform, Eric. Um, it's just it, it is an absolute blast to watch him work in the post. Uh, Jalen Robinson, the wide receiver who transferred over from Oklahoma, was the second leading receiver, and everyone is expecting him to have a massive year this year for uh, UCF football as uh, as Coach Gus Malzahn gets his hands on him. And then one more guy from basketball, Darius Perry, who it was clear uh, with this team that when he was on the floor, uh, this was a team that was a lot more organized as that as that transfer from Louisville um, was so key, especially down the stretch. I thought that he was um, he was able to keep this team sort of on an even keel, and that's sort of what you want from one of those super senior grad transfers. He was fantastic. So two basketball players and a football player here, Eric. Yeah, I mean Darius Perry, you know, really stepped up his game there. Was the go, you know, in running the offense, the point guard, very important position. CJ, obviously, you mentioned inside, and Jalen, obviously, could be the number one receiver going into this yeah. season, depending on how you believe. So. Uh, pretty look transfer like you mentioned. It's going to be a big part of it, uh, every program. It's going to be something that uh, this war this 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 category is only going to grow now in the years to come. Yeah, this is I we're, we're only diving into it now. This is going to be uh, a lot more difficult to judge in the future. There's no doubt about that. I think. Um, yeah, uh, alumnus of the year. This award goes to uh, on field or on court contributions 
by a former UCF athlete in in professional sports. And uh, we start with Gabe Davis, who had his breakout year with the Buffalo Bills, uh, helping them get deep into the NFL playoffs. I think we're going to see a lot more of Gabe as the seasons roll on uh, in Buffalo. He fit in very nicely, helped out Josh Allen in uh, his big season. Chad Matola, former UCF baseball player, now a hitting coach with the Tampa Bay Rays, helped lead them all the way to the World Series. Uh, we had him on the show. He was fantastic. What a job by Chad hit, uh, uh, working on the Rays hitting. Uh, Sean Johnson, the goalkeeper for NYCFC and MLS, was named the team captain this year. He's off to another good start in 2021. He's found a home with New York uh, after all, you know, a couple years of sort of bouncing around. Uh, and he is actually, he's got three clean sheets so far and nine starts for uh, NYCFC this year, including after a very good year last year. Best then, UCF player right now professionally in soccer. Yes. Right now. Yeah, definitely. And uh, last but not least, Anne-Marie Blaney, who we still have yet to hear from. Uh, she is she qualified for the uh, Olympic trials in the 10,000 meters. Uh, that's no small feat. And she could get a chance to, and, and she could get into the, uh, get onto the Olympic team uh, depending upon her performance this coming Saturday, Eric Lopez. So, you know, it, it's it, it's interesting that you know usually we stack this uh, this category with football guys, right, Eric? Like we've seen Latavius Murray and Brandon Marshall, but this year we're kind of diversifying a little bit, and I think that's a good thing. Well, it speaks to the the, the you know UCF athletics as a whole. It's not just a football school; it produces a lot of different athletes from different deals. And you know the Chad Matola story is fascinating. He's arguably in the conversation for the greatest UCF baseball player here. But his success is as a coach. He's the hitting coach for the Rays. Uh, not an easy job. It's not like they. Have, it's not like they're the Yankees and they have an open you know checkbook and you know have all these star hitters. Uh, Never he, miss a chance. To, <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I, heck, I think you would take him right now to be your hitting coach for the Yankees, quite frankly. I would you take guys him are. to be the manager. <laughs> Touche. Uh, but he's done a heck of a job with a, ro- a rotating of guys, going based on matchups, using everybody in the roster, and getting the max out of them. Uh, he's, he's obviously done a heck of a job there. And it's part of the reason why the Rays somehow – still to always be in the mix. It's not like do- their pitching is so dominant. They've had injuries on the pitching side uh, there. So I do want to throw an honorable mention. He won't be on this category because technically he doesn't qualify, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still mention him. Brian Murphy, MLB.com. <laughs> he goes over to MLB.com. He's crushing it on content. I'm enjoying some of his work, especially the col- he's done some college baseball writing from a standpoint. It's really a cool angle they're doing over there at MLB.com where they're keeping track of some of the big you know, MLB draft prospects and how they're doing during the postseason in college baseball. Obviously, with the World Series with guys like Jack Leiter, who's Al Leiter's kid at Vanderbilt, and, and among others. And Brian's been a part of that. He's been knocking it out park there at mlb.com no uh, well pun intended there but so uh <laughs> maybe we so name the award after murph oh can we do that the brian murphy award where you brian just go murphy on to award, excellence of the year yeah i feel like he's taking it to a different gear i feel like he was kind of holding back <laughs> from us now now that now that i've seen his writing at mlb.com i kind of feel like he was kind of coasting with us and now he's in a different level which he should are you saying he was sandbagging as part of the banneret? Is that what? Listen, you're man, and you know, it's kind of like the track and field athletes, man. They they know you know they know when to turn it on, and once you got you know your rise to the great ones, you know the occasion there. Okay, all right. We get to say uh, here's what we're gonna do real quick. We're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, we're gonna have some team awards, and then of course the male and female athlete of the That's year right. awards. So make sure you read Brian's work in the meantime, and then come back. Yeah. Yes. All right. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. It is our 2021 Bannies nominees. We move to the uh, team awards. We'll come back to some individuals in a little bit, but we'll go to the team awards here. We got a couple more uh, new categories, but these are some of the older categories we've been um, they've been working out. First one's going to be the game of the year, a single game, a single event that uh, that was that really stood out. Men's soccer's uh, semifinal in the American Championships against SMU. Eric, I was at that game. It's it, it was drama like you couldn't believe. Three straight years playing SMU on that field. Uh, two years coming up short, and finally UCF breaks through. A game that was tied 1-1, went to PKs, and UCF wins 4-3 in dramatic fashion to, to peel the SMU monkey off their backs on their home field and get to the final against Tulsa, which they would eventually win uh, one to nothing. Uh, softball against Florida, a wild back-and-forth game uh, with a, a ranked team, big crowd, as big as we could have, and then, and then to top it all off, a walk-off winner a uh, walk-off home run by Carissa Ornelas to beat the number five team in the country. Eight to six was the final. One of the wildest games you'll ever see. Uh, maybe the best game that you've ever done. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's the best game I've ever called. It's the best game I've ever seen in person uh, with the, the just the twists and turns of that game. I mean, we could spend hours talking about that game. It's one of the best all-around exciting games. And remember, that was the that week was the first time when UCF had just ended up to 50% capacity. So we had an yeah. atmosphere. We had a football players there. We had a ton of different people there. And to beat Florida and a walk-off and a big win there and an you know, ESPN Plus national platform, uh, it was phenomenal. I had enjoyed it, calling the game with Francesca Ney, who's a former Gator great. Uh, and then it was just a lot, both coaches, obviously chess match, knowing each other very well. Cindy Ball Malone, Tim Walton had coached together in the uh, USA under 19. And uh, it was just wild. Had a little bit of everything. It was an incredible moment. Two others. How about baseball going up to number one Ole Miss and beating them three to two in the first of three? UCF would win two out of three against the Rebels when they were number one in the country. But that first game with Colton Gordon throwing that seven innings, David Litchfield getting the save. That three to two game with uh, uh, Josh Crouch and Jordan Rathbone getting those two home runs, I think, was a, in the uh, in the seventh inning was just such a, a a huge win for UCF baseball and really and, and at the time really had us excited about what was coming uh, in in what ended up being a bit of a topsy turvy regular season, but still a true highlight for that team. And then of course men's basketball going up to Florida State early in the season, fourth game or third game of the year. And beating the number fifteen ranked Seminoles, eighty six to seventy four, on a thirty two point performance by Brandon Mahan, and then Isaiah Adams, who was kind of his coming out party. He had twenty two points, and Darren Green hit six threes for twenty points of his own. And UCF scoring fifty two points in the second half <laughs> to beat the Seminoles in the Tucker Center. Eric Lopez, that was an amazing game to watch. It was Saturday night. I'll never forget it. It was on the ACC Network. So you yeah. Really, and uh, that second half was wild. They were, I mean, Brandon Mayhem was playing out of his mind. Probably my favorite night shift episode we've done to this point was me and Merv right after that game. We were like beside ourselves. We we're like, this is incredible. <laughs> this is amazing. This team is all, you know, we just, as, and you know, every people that know Merv, he hates jumping to conclusions and overreacting to one game. But we did it anyway. He, we got caught up in it. And it was an amazing game. 
I think it's the best regular season win, arguably, in the Johnny Dawkins era. Maybe one of the greatest wins, regular season wins in the program history to beat a really good Florida State team with another future lottery pick. And Scotty Barnes will probably be with the Orlando Magic in this upcoming draft. Who knows? Uh, But a Seminole team that was a Sweet 16 team as well. into this tournament, I, I want to remember. I don't remember. Did they make the Elite Eight? But regardless, they're really good. Uh, yeah. And to go there, and they snapped Florida State's long win streak at home. I mean, they built a good home court advantage there at the Tucker Center, and UCF just was lights out. Yeah. Second half of the ages in that game. Uh, all right, so those are our Game of the Year nominees. How about Play of the Year, an individual play? Uh, we got four of them for you. First one, Luca Dorado's game-winning golazo in the American Championship. It was an early goal, but it was a fantastic one from 35 yards out to give UCF a one nothing lead that they would not relinquish. Uh, Eric Lopez, we got to have a softball play in there. And, of course, we did the game-ending double play in the first game of the tournament against Auburn. Uh, when it looked like all may have been lost, uh, they got that 1-2-3 double play, Aaliyah White starting it. Uh, to get the uh, to, to start things off and, and finish that game, even though UCF didn't get to the Supers. Wow, what a moment that was on national television, nonetheless. On ESPN2, it's actually the second most watched UCF softball game on uh, c- cable television. You can read that on blackandgobanneret.com if you check that out. Plug, G plug. Uh, yeah, I mean, they looked long. I mean, Auburn, you know, two bases loaded, one out. How are they going to get out of it? It was a cr- tremendous double play turn. Uh, it was. It's the best... It's the most memorable UCF defensive play in postseason history, maybe in the history of the 20 years now of this program. How about a play from football? And I know everyone wants to forget that Memphis game, but there's one play that we just can't forget, and that was a new school record. Ryan O'Keefe's 93-yard touchdown reception from Dylan Gabriel. Uh, that catch and run was – it's a school record. I mean, it's it's a school record for the longest play in history. You got to have that in there. And then, of course – Renaya Jones, a school record 12.73 in the 100-meter hurdles in the uh, Knights Invitational event that, out of the blue, qualified her for the U.S. Olympic trials. Wow, what a moment that was. It was certainly shocking in a good way. One of the most shocking plays. It's a coming out party. Track and field doesn't get a lot of attention in college, but when she made that, people took notice. They were like, wait a minute, what? Who is this kid? And uh, boy, from that point on, it would turn into the the spring, if you will, late spring of Rhinia Jones uh, that really brought a lot of attention to UCF track and field, maybe that they've never had before. When you consider social media and how important it is now and and, and her performances. But you're right, that was the, the coming out party. That was when she announced, it, it, it's kind of like when Tiger Woods uh, kind of did when he came out of the college and he goes, hello world, and then he just, tore up the tour it was almost that was Renaya Jones saying hello UCF world dear here I am and hello track and field world with that run what a moment that was for her um now another category moment of the year all right first one's going to be first nominee is going to be men's soccer finally getting over the hump and winning the American tournament they had been to the American championship game the three seasons prior that they that they had an American tournament had lost to SMU all three times. Came up short a couple times in overtime. Finally, they break through on the home uh, on the home pitch, beat SMU in the in the semifinal, and then beat Tulsa one to nothing in a final. I mean that that semifinal was spectacular. The final you could see that they were still just kind of barely hanging on after that after that long game against SMU. But finally, 
UCF breaks through on the home field uh, and wins the American in men's soccer for the first time since the A Sundays. Volleyball winning their third straight American Athletic Conference title in Cincinnati in the tournament. You know, they had their season delayed to the spring because of COVID, um, but still came out guns a blazing. They had got a couple of challenges, especially uh, from uh, especially for along the way, uh, but managed to gut through up in Cincinnati and win that third consecutive American title. It's the first time UCF has won three straight ace uh, uh, American athletic uh, conference titles in volleyball since the A Sundays uh, back under uh, Meg Collado. Women's basketball in their season finale on senior day, blowing out USF to all but basically all but clinch an at-large NCAA bid. It was right after they had lost to USF in Tampa, and USF had clinched the conference uh, regular season championship. Remember that? But they came back later that same week uh, in Orlando and just take it to the Bulls and clinch an NCAA. Or, or, well, they didn't clinch an NCAA bid, but they, it, it basically solidified their opportunity as an at-large, uh, beating the number one team in the conference and a ranked team nonetheless. And then, of, of course, Eric, we mentioned it before, Carissa Ornelas' walk-off home run against Florida to beat the number 5 Gators 8-6 to at the softball complex, capping off an unreal night for UCF softball. I, I'll never forget. I still get asked about that game. I still get asked about that call. My phone was full that night. I've never seen my phone so full, right, with text messages. And, and games like that, what's so big about those games is those are the games that draw the casual fan you may not be a softball fan you're not watching softball on a daily basis but if you're a ucf fan for example that's you're just you're you know what ucf florida is a big deal in any sport let alone mm-hmm. softball especially and so you you got the casual people there and that's the thing that jumped out to me at that moment so many people and part of this a big credit is the game aired on espn plus this year yeah more ucf fans that normally don't watch UCF Olympic sports watched it because of ESPN plus in that platform. Uh, I've had numerous comments about that. And I think softball was a big benefit in that game in particular, uh, based on how my phone reacted based on social media, I would not be surprised if that UCF Florida game is probably among the most viewed UCF sporting events on ESPN plus. Hey, it's certainly a legendary game that, you know, that, like you said, the country paid attention to. And the, the country, softball right. nation was paying attention. The, yep. Around the country, softball people were paying very close attention to that wild, wild game. Um, let's go to a new category this year. We always had trouble kind of separating things like moment, performance, but this is one that I think is a good, good idea from you. The top story of the year. What was the story of the year in UCF sports? Not necessarily a game or a, or a person, but a story football bringing sports back from COVID-19 at the start of the season. What a uh, huge, huge moment that was uh, for sports in general, seeing UCF sports and just finally getting us to perhaps see a little bit of normalcy, right? It was so important. Playing at Georgia tech, there was a lot of questions whether there would be a football season. Uh, Remember you should there be a football season. There's a lot of debate. What, what it would look like. And things like that. And I think, you know, then all of a sudden, hey, we're going to play Georgia Tech, you know, because they lost the North Carolina game. 
And it's like, oh man, this is gonna be—is it gonna be conference only? What's it gonna look like? And well, he got the Georgia Tech game in, and you're right, it was a—it was the first sporting event back after. Remember, keep in mind there had not been a, a UCF sporting event since UCF baseball lost to Miami mm-hmm. to, in March of 2020, the day that it, the whole world shut down, if you will, here in the states. And you wondered when would UCF sports be back, and that was a sign right there with football. Uh, being the first to come back and and a pretty important game that people were excited about at the time playing at Georgia Tech it wasn't like your you know a lot of you know in Atlanta game that was nationally televised on ABC I believe it's the most watched UCF football game by the way of the 2020 season both locally and nationally so clearly there was a lot of people interested um, and but that was the big thing that helped bring UCF sports football went through their season then basketball followed and then obviously you know, and this kind of count. I think this this all this story goes beyond just football because all the fo- the other fall sports teams. And this is a bigger story: foot, uh, volleyball, men's soccer, women's soccer, cross country, all got moved to the spring, and all of them had success uh, except mm-hmm. women's soccer. They had a tough year. They got ravaged by just everything. But yeah. think about this spring that UCF just had. Because you had men's soccer winning the regular season and tournament title, volleyball winning the three-peat, making the NCAAs, cross-country with Valestra getting to be freshman of the year. A lot of stuff. This is a spring that will never be forgotten or duplicated, I hope, anyway. You're not alone in that respect. I know that for sure. Right. With so (laughs) many how busy it was. (laughs) Right. I mean, we had men's basketball, women's basketball, track slash cross-country. The both volleyball. soccer teams, volleyball, so- uh, softball, golf, baseball, tennis. golf. Yeah, it's a historic spring, and it all started with football coming back in the fall. And then I think because as much as people could be disappointed about on the field, the big positive was on the field, they played. <laughs> they yeah. played. They got 10 games in. They didn't lose a game as far as once the schedule was finalized, but, hey, we're playing 10 games. And I think that gave them optimism and confidence to move forward with the other sports. I really believe if football does not come back or if they struggled, if you know, there was a lot of, oh, this, they won't make it. They're not going to, you know, not just UCF. I'm talking about the whole college football landscape of they're not going to make it through the season. They're going to, it's going to be shut down and whatever. And the fact they got it through, it wasn't pretty. I will be the first. And obviously, there was obviously the limited attendance. And in some other places, they didn't even allow fans. But I think that paved the way for the other sports. And I think when you look at the spring for UCF, it's one of the most successful springs in the history of UCF athletics. And a lot of that is credit to football able to kind of be that first test, you know, kind of like that first person to tap their foot in the water, if you will, Mm -hmm. and showing how it's done. I've spoken to many coaches in different sports, how football, a lot of people learned a lot of things from football going through it as far as what they can do and cannot do. Right. So it was, was, we were really kind of walking on the moon uh, at that point and figuring out how was this going to look when uh, when sports came back and football coming back, I think really did pave the way and brought back some of that morale, I think, that we desperately needed uh, coming off of what was a horrible 2020 for everybody. Um, three other stories that we got to talk about. I know we talked about that one at length, but big story. Danny White and Josh Heupel both leaving for Tennessee <laughs> and then being replaced by Terry Mahajer and Gus Malzahn, respectively. Um this administrative story of the year, obviously, in, in, in UCF. 
Um, you know, when you have a new AD, new head football coach, there are lots of changes. Those guys, you know, the new guys definitely have some big shoes to fill. But if anything, you know, I, I, it's, it, it's certainly it, that can always go either way. And I think in UCF's case, there's a lot, you know, there's tremendous, tremendous optimism uh, from from both this. And you know, we're thankful for what we got from Danny White and Josh Heupel. But wow, the future is bright indeed. Uh, third story of the year, Renaya Jones finishing second in the NCAAs and then sticks around Eugene and messes around and gets the Olympic trials. <laughs> what a two weeks it was for Renaya, her uh, her national coming out party, and just following her as she made her way to the semifinals of the Olympic trials. And then finally, both tennis teams winning, uh, winning conference and hosting the NCAA tournament uh, at uh, at the USTA Tennis Complex, it was uh, it was the spring of tennis. Eric Lopez, was it not? Historic year in tennis. Both teams rank. Both teams win conference championships. Both teams get national seeds and get to host for the first time in program history at the USTA Center in that beautiful building. Women's tremendous. Team got to the, and uh, women's got to Sweet Sixteen. Men's got to the second round. They won their first ever NCAA tournament match. Men's tennis had never won an NCAA tournament match. And then ran into a tough draw with Mississippi State in the second round. The women's lost a heartbreaker to Duke in the Sweet 16, but still in uh, a, a memorable year for both tennis. Uh, and again, people followed the programs because of social media. And then, you know, the American Championship match for the men's was on ESPN+. Plus. That was a big deal as well. So uh, that was huge. And then obviously you mentioned Renaya. I want to mention real quick about the white hypo. All of that happened in the spring too, by the way. That yeah. happened in like – and that was kind of a crazy time, right? Because you have Danny Levy, which caught everybody off guard. Like, nobody thought, oh, well, I mean, there were some whispers about Tennessee, but nobody, for whatever reason, took it seriously. Next thing you know, he's like, oh, he's going to be at Columbia, Tennessee. Wow. And then you, next thing you know, well, he's got to find, he, you know, they got to get a football coach. Well, he's not going to hire Josh Hypo. Come on. And then remember the story <laughs> leaked? Like, reportedly, Josh Hypo is the front runner. Everybody's like, oh, that's Danny White. Nobody Just believed it. Nobody was like scoffing at it. It was like, ah, that's not true. And then the next morning, oh, yeah, no, Josh Hypo is going. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and then you have the AD surge, which nobody saw coming. Nobody saw Terry Mahaja from Arkansas say nobody predicted that. Nobody that was following this. You had the whole fiat drama. <laughs> Crying a guy from his alma mater. Right. But the funny yeah. thing is you had the drama with Jim Stark being the rumored guy from Missouri and people flipping out. I mean, but then it ends up being Terry. And then you got a head, a head football coach and Gus Malzahn. And to our credit, when we did our coaching list, me and Andrew Glucock, one of the guys we consistently had on every list was Gus Malzahn. A lot of people dismissed it, didn't think it was possible, but it was reality. And this, this has been incredible I don't think a UCF football coach has ever had this buzz that Gus has had yeah. in this spring. Nobody. Remember when his name was first bandied about? Like, you know, UCF is in serious talks with Gus Malzahn. I forget who it was that reported it at first, but the fan base initially was, was, hey, it was amazing. repelled by it. And But within 12 hours, everything flipped when you realize that Oh my God, this is actually Gus Malzahn, like the Gus Malzahn. He's oh, and his really personality, I think, won a lot. I mean, that press conference won a lot of yep. people over. He's been very, he's been around. You can see him. He's on social media a lot. Um, he's been going to UCF events. He was at a softball game and things like that. He, he's just got that likable personality uh, that I think is drawn he's, to people. He's and, been a great ambassador for the program. Yeah. And he's been, and like, 
a lot of access in the spring. I've never, I mean, there was more media availabilities for spring football this year than there were combined the last three years. So, and that's, that's during a, a pandemic, him. by the way. That's a credit to him. He lets all his staff available. He talks all the time. Uh, and I think, it, and, and, and I still think that's very important at UCF. I think some people take that for granted. I do think a football coach needs to be outspoken and out in the public to promote the program, to sell the program, uh, to push the program. And I think that, quite frankly, was lacking from the previous regime. And I think it's been a welcome, a fresh air with Gus and his staff now. All right. Uh, that takes us to the individual performance of the year, an on-field individual performance that really made headlines. <clears throat> Excuse me. We start with Yannick Ertl uh, in that semifinal against SMU, who, you know, the old term for that is the, the as a goalkeeper stands on his head. <clears throat> well, Luca, uh, well, uh, 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 Yannick Ertl, I don't know wh- what he was standing on, but it was an amazing performance. Nine saves, only uh, one goal. Uh, he had the one goal against him, but didn't count goal- though. It did not count because they got, right. It did not count. They reviewed it and uh did not count and boy and, and then that's not even including the saves he made when it went to penalty kicks yeah uh two of them in fact that he made on penalty yeah. kicks but uh a, a phenomenal performance uh the likes of which that you rarely see uh from a you know a soccer player having to uh, from a keeper having to make that many saves to begin with he saved UCF season that day Renaya Jones finishing second in the NCAAs in the 100 meter hurdles we can't, it's a broken record. Renaya is up there in every category. I mean, she's <laughs> it, it. What a remarkable, remarkable moment that was! Taking the silver medal in the NCAA's, a, a freshman competing against seniors, and look at what she was able to do. Wow, the future is bright. Everyone wants to forget the Memphis football game, but we need to pour one out for Dylan Gabriel, who set a new school, smashed a school record that day. With 601 yards passing on 35 of 49 and five touchdowns, he was absolutely masterful in that game. It's a shame that the result was what it was because he was absolutely amazing. Um, and it just showed you just the kind of potential that Dylan Gabriel has as a passer. And then Brandon Mahan's 32-point performance against Florida State in the 86-74 win that wild game that we were talking about earlier. Here was Mayhan's line from that game. 33 minutes, 10 of 13 from the field, 2 of 4 from three-point range, 10 of 10 at the line, 32 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists. What a day for him uh, as UCF got the victory over Florida State. These are some really solid single-game performances. It's incredible. You could argue if, if I mean, from Dylan Gabriel, he broke the passing yards record that was held by Ryan Schneider. And he broke uh, it by over 100 yards. Yeah, yeah, a record that stood for like over 20 years. Uh, and he broke it, and you could argue they're a kick away. If they win that game with a kick, maybe that's regarded as maybe the greatest quarterback performance in a single game yeah. by any UCF quarterback. Uh, Yannick took his deal. He's a three-time goalkeeper of the year award winner. And yet, that match was a signature moment. That's a signature match. That's the match that really put him now. When you look at his resume, three-time goalkeeper of the year, two-time now uh, a conference tournament champion, two-time NCAA tournament at Sweet 16 appearances, uh, multiple conference championships. He is now probably right there as the second greatest goalkeeper in UCF soccer history behind Winston DeBose, who's in the Florida Sports Hall of Fame and the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Yannick Erdo has ri- risen 
with this year he's had, and in particular that SMU match, following that up with winning the Tulsa match, he's now right there with DeBose as far as the greatest goalkeepers in UCF soccer history. Uh, and then Brandon Mayhem, that was a game, it's one of the great performances for a UCF basketball player on the road against Florida State. Uh, his signature game to this point, to the point where the, his expectations kind of went super high now. People were disappointed like later in the year when he would only score like 14 or 16, you know? <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, so that takes us to the keynote awards uh, for male and female athlete of the year and men's and women's team of the year. Let's start with female athlete of the year. McKenna Melville of UCF Volleyball. Again, player of the year in the conference. Uh, with Jordan Thompson no longer in the conference, it was all McKenna's. Uh, it was McKenna's. All right, congrats to, to Jordan Thompson, who will be representing the red, white, and blue in That's Tokyo. That's right. As Todd Dagenet has said for four years, and as Aaron Campbell said when I called the uh, Jordan Thompson's freshman year, Aaron Campbell predicted on the air that she would be in the Olympics. Todd Dagenet's been saying that for four years all officially accurate because she is now in the Olympics and probably the greatest volleyball player that UCF's ever faced. Yeah, and speaking of which, possibly, you know, certainly maybe one of the greatest volleyball players in UCF history that we're watching right now, no doubt. Melville, uh, not just an, an, an outstanding student, uh, all academic, but of course led UCF so many times this year in this weird year where she just put the team on, the, on her back and, uh, and brought them back. You know, it, she, she did the Michael Jordan thing. You know, it was McKenna, save us. And she did time and time again. Uh, uh, Conference player of the year. Renaya Jones, obviously. uh, (laughs) Again, uh, trust me, this is actually the last time we're going to say her name here tonight. But, you know, I think she set a record for the most banning nominations. I think so in one year. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Especially as a freshman. Uh, As, uh, again, uh, a a new record holder in the 100 meter hurdles making it to the Olympic trials as a freshman, finishing second in the country, an All-American. Aaliyah White, capping off her uh, her career at UCF uh, as the all-time winningest pitcher in UCF softball history. A lot of really great names on that list, but she's at the very top and helped UCF finally get to the postseason in her career. Uh, outstanding job by Aaliyah White. And then women's tennis. we got to have someone from women's tennis, and we wanted to have Valeria Zaleva in there. Um, who was uh, truly remarkable this year, the season for UCF amongst uh, you know amongst all players who had uh, who contributed to UCF women's tennis again winning the American making it to the NCAA's nobody contributed more than she did this year. No, I mean she's the only UCF women's tennis player ever to qualify for the singles NCAA championships twice in a career. There's only been three women that have done it. Period. She's one of those three, but she's the only one that's done it twice in singles highest ranked player on the team that obviously winning the conference championship made the run to two is sweet 16 so very worthy of being a nominee and then Aaliyah this 2021 was Aaliyah's year breaking the record for wins against New Mexico State she ended up breaking all the records leading UCF back to the NCAA tournament writing her legacy there and then Renaya and McKenna obviously monster years and I think McKenna and we'll get into this more next our next episode when we talk about not only we we announce the winners but as we look ahead to the big some of the bigger stories in the fall is i think mckenna melville is at the top of the list as far as top stories in the fall considering the expectations for the team for her she's gonna break if she's healthy she will be one of six women in the history of that program to have over a thousand kills and over a thousand digs has a chance to be a four-time honor at, at least at least a four-time Honorable mention, All-American. No UCF volleyball player has ever done that. So this, uh, we'll get into that more next year, next week. But this year was pretty darn good for her as well. 
when they were in trouble, she usually bailed him out, especially in the conference tournament match. I'll never forget that Tulane match. Jeff, remember that? They were yeah. down, didn't look good. And she rose to the occasion and carried him to that victory line. They were short. They were short-handed. They were without their top setter. And, and it was bleak. It was really bleak yeah. at that point. And remember, because the way the tournament was set up this year, if they don't win the conference tournament, I don't think they make the NCAAs. You're right. Uh, and she rose to the occasion and got them back to win that match at five and then obviously dominated Temple. She has owned Temple in her entire career. And rightfully so, as you mentioned, with Jordan Thompson, I wins player of the year uh, in the American, joining, joining Delena Sarton is the only UCF players to win American Conference player of the year. And she'll probably be the favorites to do it twice, which no UCF player has ever done. Right. Male athlete of the year, four solid nominees. Um, at the top of the list, Gabe DeCamps from men's tennis, who was ranked as high as third in the country uh, and uh, made it deep into the NCAA singles uh, tournament. We're in, this is not the last we're going to hear from Gabe DeCamps, even though his UCF career uh, has come to an end. Uh, we're going to see him on the pro tour, I think, for years to come. As you've been saying, uh, Eric Lopez, he's got the size, he's got the tools, he's going to be great. Speaking of guys who have the size and the tools who are going to be great, Richie Grant from UCF football, a guy who, you know, first of all, yeah, we're a little bit partial. We love talking to Richie Grant. He was such a great interview, just a good, good dude. And we are so happy to see him land with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he should be playing for a long time on Sundays. He is an NFL-level safety, and, uh, and uh, again, a fantastic year for UCF, keeping that defense together. Even at times when it looked dark, boy, he was all over. He, he, was, he was always around the ball, always around the ball. Nobody played better uh, on defense than Richie Grant did. Jordan Rathbone, who really broke out this year for UCF um, baseball, and you know we had a bunch of we had a bunch of guys who were um, who could have come out from UCF baseball, but Rathbone I think was the most cons uh, uh, consistent contributor for UCF out there, uh, especially with the bat. And then Johnny Travail from Men's Golf, who uh, uh, who attended the NCAA regionals. You know it wasn't you know the the best year in the world for UCF Men's Golf, but he was really a highlight. And uh, the fact that he got to compete in the NCAA's uh, and coach uh, uh, and coach Bryce Waller out there with him. Uh, was a real thrill to see. So male athlete of the year, Eric Lopez. I I, I have the feeling that Gabe DeCamps is the odds-on favorite, but you never know. I want to also make sure to do uh, so John Roddick doesn't have a heart attack if he's listening to the show. DeCamps technically has a year left eligibility. He could come back. So uh, that's we, true. That that's not let's not let's not write him to the pros just yet. He can, you're feel free to come back, Gabe. Feel well, free. Lopez, you're the one who's always talking about how we're going to see him at the French and well, at Wimbledon yeah, sometime soon. It, well, it just doesn't have to be. You know, doesn't doesn't mean he can't still play college. You know, he could still stick around. Uh, we'll see. Uh, look, I think you're right. I think Gabe, and then obviously Richie, who, I mean, a Jim Thorpe finalist is nothing to sneeze at. Hello, um, probably has put himself in the conversation for among the best defensive backs in the history of UCF football. Which and, is saying uh, something with this. Group. It is. It is. And I think I speak that highly of him. Uh, and I, so I think, obviously, football being a more popular sport, it wouldn't surprise me if the fan vote went that direction. But obviously, DeCamp speaks for itself. I think it's going to be my, – my guess is it's going to be one of those two. Uh, but you never know, as like I said. So that takes us to team of the year uh, for both men's and women's. Now, we only had two nominees on the men's side. Um, that was tennis – uh, who won the uh, American Championship, uh, made it into the NCAA. They finally got over the hump uh, and made it to the NCAA uh, Championships after a, a solid year. Boy, 
the competition that they played this year was just unmatched. Um, and you know, it was a little, it was a little rough there at times for this team, but they managed to pull it together. This was, uh, as good a team as we've seen, uh, from John Roddick over the years. They finished this year with a record of 22 and four, seven, oh, in conference and making it to the second round of the NCAAs. Of course, we mentioned Gabe DeCamps. They won the American by beating Wichita and South Florida. Um, this was the year that they finally broke over the hill. Uh, for UCF men's tennis. And then, of course, men's soccer. Even though they finished with a record of 9-4-1, remember, this was a team that won s- their last six in the regular season uh, and then won the American Athletic Conference Championship at home, uh, over that thriller over SMU in the semis, and then the final over Tulsa before making it to the NCAA tournament, getting a bye. They get to the Sweet 16 where they lose to number th- number two Pitt, um, but we ended up going to the final four, up, beat JMU yeah. to get to the Sweet 16. And JMU is a ranked team. Yeah, which with potentially a future goalkeeper that's going to play in the MLS. Yeah. Uh, a future there. And second time in a row under Coach Calabrese, Sweet 16. I had never been to the Sweet 16 in this program until Calabrese has arrived. So uh, I'm glad we kept it at two. I know some would say, hey, what about that Boca? You know, we did get to Boca Bowl. You know, maybe if they would have won, maybe we would have considered it, but uh, probably not, actually. Um, I think it's real deserved. I'm fascinated to see how the vote goes for men's tennis, men's soccer. I think they both make a great case. And uh, I'm really intrigued by how this vote goes. And then finally, the women's team of the year. This was such a strong year for women's sports at UCF. It really was. We had, it Might be is, the greatest year one. in women's sports ever and, at UCF when you really in, you think about it. In a year when, when two of the traditional powers in women's sports for UCF kind of had sort of off years, you know, women's soccer, you know, they didn't make the postseason. Women's rowing did not win the yeah, conference that's championship. ironic. <laughs> it is and, weird. Yeah. And yet here we are with these, you got to select from one of these four teams. Good luck. All right. UCF volleyball, third consecutive American athletic conference championship, lost only two matches the whole year. What a year they had uh, throughout the regular season, winning that conference championship on the road. Softball, the great moments, the Florida game, even though they came up short in the American uh, championship against Wichita State, um, they still managed to, to get, put together that run in the tournament and then get to the NCAAs. Um, what a, 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 an incredible, just a, a highlight reel of moments uh, for that team this year. Basketball, again, in a year when UConn was finally out, they have another spectacular year, even though they didn't win a conference cha- uh, a conference championship. Coach Abe and her gang gave us everything that they had in every single game and finished in second in the conference. Uh, and this year, you know, I, I, the, it, and this was in a year where there was a big transition year. No KK Wright. They still go sixteen and five. They started with a blowout against Virginia and <clears throat> made it to the NCAA championships. Um, what and, and hey, coin flip here or there, and what kind of a season could it have been for them as well? And then, of course, women's tennis, which we talked about, conference championships were how they were a machine this year. Eric Lopez, even after they had already won a conference championship a couple years ago, they finished twenty and five. They're ranked throughout the year. They make it to the NCAA tournament, Sweet Sixteen, before losing in heartbreaking fashion to number 18 Duke in a match that could have gone either way. 
Um, of course, they won the conference championship with, by beating South Florida, Houston, and Tulsa. Um, they beat number four, Florida State. Look at the ranked teams they beat. Number four, Florida State. Number 41, Oklahoma State. Um, number 24, Furman. They beat Miami when they were receiving votes. They beat Florida when they were number 21 twice. Uh, it, it, what a year for Brian Kenyeko. And that program just seems to keep getting better every year. That's the thing. They're still young. And uh, they got a lot of talent coming back. And honorable mention, you know, did, couldn't make that tells you how strong the women's year was. Women's golf made the NCAA tournament. They made it to the regionals yeah. in Louisville. I think they were what a sh- couple, sh- a shot or two away from advancing to the NCAA four championship. Shots. Three or four oh. shots, I think. Um, they were close, and yet they couldn't make the list. That's how strong this year for the women's were. Uh, and, and, and quite frankly, outperformed the men. If we're really being honest here, the men. Uh, the women outperformed the men. The men, just, you could argue from that standpoint, did not have a strong year. The women dominated the men's sports. Uh, you know, and you're right. What's so ironic is the two two of the flagship ones that usually are perennial NCAA, women's soccer had a rough year, young roster, uh, injuries, and a short season. It just was just nothing, anything that could go wrong. Never wrong. really they, got their feet underneath them. No, and it went south. I mean, they every it was kind of like the base. The, they were the women's version of baseball. Because uh, baseball, everything went wrong. It was the same thing with soccer, and and then rowing lost to S- a really good SMU team. SMU was top twelve in the country. Uh, to credit to UCF, that SMU has gotten better because everybody's getting better. They're trying to catch up to UCF, but UCF probably should have been to the tournament. But there was some chicanery going on because the Ivy League and rowing is like the SEC in football, so they got benefit of the doubt, even though they weren't supposed to be participating in sports in the spring. I don't. All I'm saying is, can we get Danny White to expand the rowing championships? If we're going to give him credit for this football <laughs> playoff expanding, can we give him? Can we get somebody to expand the rowing championships? This is going to be a tough vote, man. I don't know. I, 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 I withhold my votes. Um, but again, Woo! each of I us. I can't wait for the voting. Now, how, how? Tell the audience because I. That's the part I'm looking for. I, I missed doing this last year. I'm always intrigued by what the fans vote, just to kind of take the temperature because. Sometimes the fan, you know, a lot of people just assume, well, they're going to vote for the most popular athlete or sport, but that's the, our, our, Not necessarily. Our, our fan base, our audience uh, uh, is a lot smarter than, say, other, you know, fan base. Uh, no, fan I think bases. that's true. No, I yeah. think that's absolutely true. And the way it's going to work this year is changing the vote slightly because we have a larger staff. So everyone on the staff gets one vote, plus the, res- the results of the fan polls that we're going to post uh, early next week. That's going to be one vote, and that'll determine who the winners are. So, uh, again, next week will be our uh, show where we reveal the Black and Gold Banneret Award winners for 2021. That's a lo- it's, it's, it's a big one, Eric. It gets bigger and badder every year. I'm just glad we have it back. We didn't have it last year because it was just such a downer with everything that happened with COVID. It, it was just it just would not have felt right to do one in a half a year where the spring sports basically couldn't finish. So, I'm just happy we have it back because that means we had a year of sports and it's it's um, it's good. I've I missed this award. I've always enjoyed among all the episodes we do. This is usually the two that I enjoy since we started doing this. Is the bannies, the nominations, just kind of recap all the athletes and teams and stories and seeing what the fans think and what our staff thinks. And next week there'll be a lot of yelling and arguments back and forth depending <laughs> on the results and why either somebody should have won or didn't win. I know it's going to be a blast. So. Uh, be sure you listen into that. Subscribe to our podcast if you don't already uh, on uh, on i or I almost said iTunes, but no Apple Podcasts now, of course. Uh, and of course, if you're a uh, Android user, you can subscribe to us 
on Spotify as well. So next week we'll have uh, we'll have the banner we'll have the Banneret Award Show. You can follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric Lopez Elo. Our thanks to Bryson Turner. It's Bryson Turner on Twitter for uh, for giving us the latest on uh, track and field. And uh, of course, you can follow us at at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Blackandgoldbanneret.com is where you can find all of our latest content. And don't forget to subscribe to the nightly newsletter. It's back. I've been doing it for the last week. <clears throat> uh, the, all the latest news from the day in uh, UCF sports in your inbox in the morning, including uh, if I can if I can stay awake, uh, the link to this podcast once we get it up and running on the server. So, Eric Lopez, this has been a blast, man. Once again, it is always a pleasure, and uh, look for hopefully people tune out and vote and. Uh, Look forward to seeing what the results will be, and uh, we'll probably have a few other of the staff next week, and we'll just yell and argue at each other. Excellent, which is always what you guys want to subscribe to. So (laughs) for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't forget to vote for the Bannies. Catch you next week.